You see how we're building a chronology here, a time schedule of the Christian walk, the Christian life. First we have the blood, then the body, then the resurrection. Well, what would happen next in Christian affairs? But the harvest. And sure enough, in Leviticus 23, 15, 16, and 21, God directs his people to pass 50 days until the fourth feast. Uh, this is Pentecost, Shavuos in Hebrew, the harvest. It comes uh, in May or June. Now, uh, you'll see in these verses a lot of instructions in between, and they uh, teach the Jews uh, what to sacrifice and how to sacrifice it, how to observe these uh, complex feasts. I don't recommend that you try to carry all these out. This, this would be a lot to ask. But in a way, when you're saved, when you walk with the Lord, you already have. Because this Christian chronology, this Christian life and walk, is satisfied in symbol by all of those who have uh, appropriated the gift of Jesus. Pentecost, uh, to the Christians, of course, is the time of the coming of the Spirit, a time of great harvest. 3,000 people were saved at the first Pentecost after the Lord ascended, that we find in Acts 2. And, of course, the Spirit has been present with us since, through the long church age, continuing to reap the harvest of the Lord. We might pause to say that between Acts 2 and Acts 4, in Acts 4, uh, the story of Peter and John witnessing uh, healing a lame man at the temple is given. 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost and 5,000 in Acts 4 when the apostles witnessed, making 8,000 people and all of them Jews. It suggests that the Jews can certainly be witness to if we know something of their celebrations, their worship, their feasts, and again, our witness is improved by knowing these facts. Uh, the apostles, of course, Peter and John, were Jews who well knew the thinking of these crowds and uh, were attended by miracles, their ability to heal, the, the marvelous language miracle at Pentecost, but they were there because the Jews were there and because they could talk about these feasts with the people they were witnessing to. Well, going on in Leviticus 23, what would we expect after the long church age, after the long harvest? We would expect the rapture. And sure enough, Leviticus 23, 23, God orders the exciting Feast of Trumpets. It comes in August, September, the seventh month, the Jewish calendar. With the sound of the trumpet, the Jews will be regathered to Israel, says Isaiah, and God will gather believers in Christ to heaven, as we see in First Thess 4, 16 and 17. The Jews sound the trumpet, actually a ram's horn called the shofar, in every synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Now this, uh, of course, we, we understand as the rapture, and uh, to the Jew it's uh, the regathering to his promised land, and both have uh, excellent uh, symbolism with each other. The word we will give to uh, that feast in our Christian nomenclature would be rapture.
We've thus covered in Jewish feasts the blood, the body, the resurrection, the harvest, and the rapture. Now, what happens to Christians after the rapture? Well, there will be a judgment in which the Christians will be redeemed. So there will be a time of redemption. And we see in Leviticus 23, 27 to 29, that the Jews are admonished to atone, the sacred day of atonement, or Yom Kippur. This is a very serious and sanctified day to the Jew involving fasting and deep repentance. On this day, the Jew prays to be inscribed in the Book of Life for the coming year. You can see in the scripture that uh, the Jew has much to fear. God says in 23:29 that if there's any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. That's a terrible fate for anybody, but for the Jew, as good as death. The Jew, after all, is one of the chosen people. So a very serious time of atonement, of confession to the Lord, and a prayer to be inscribed in the book of life is the day of atonement to the Jew. To the Christian, this is a holiday that is happy, that is, that he is already inscribed in the book of life by means of appropriating the gift of the Messiah. To him it is redemption, and we use this word redemption to symbolize this sixth feast day. The Jews, of course, will have ultimate redemption. When the Lord returns to the earth, to the Mount of Olives, at the time of Armageddon, all Israel will be redeemed. All living Israel will realize that Christ is, was, always has been the Jewish Messiah. So they look forward to an ultimate redemption too. And finally, we would expect to find the uh, last feast symbolizing the millennium, and so we do. We look at the Feast of Tabernacles, Leviticus uh, 23-24, and we see a beautiful portrayal of the millennium when each man will live peacefully in his own tabernacle and all will go to Jerusalem each year to commemorate this feast. God recalls the time that he provided booths, as it says in the King James translation, little shelters for his people out in the wilderness and had them dwell therein on this feast after he had brought them out of Egypt. If we look in Zechariah 14, 16 to 19, we can see that Tabernacles is certainly going to survive into the kingdom. Every nation on earth will be bad to come to Jerusalem once each year and to worship the Lord on this Feast of Tabernacles. So our last feast, we uh, would give the name the Millennium, Tabernacles. You notice the peculiar grouping of these last three feasts, too. Uh, they're all in the seventh month, in the August-September period. Just as the first three, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits, were all in the spring, the first month, March, April. The way uh, the seven of them line up, there are three immediately at the beginning, then a pause, 50 days, until Pentecost, May or June, then a pause until the seventh month in the fall, when we have three rapidly in a row again. And it sort of makes a diagram of how God has acted in his plan. 
The blood, the body, and the resurrection were indeed close together. Jesus celebrated Passover in the evening of the 14th day of Nisan. The next morning he was crucified, and in that afternoon, still on the same Hebrew day, his body was taken down and put in the tomb. Just three days later he was resurrected. So Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits were all close together in the calendar. Then there was the period of time until Jesus ascended. He was seen by his disciples some 40 days. And then time for Jesus to go and the Holy Spirit to come would come to Pentecost. So there was a pause, and there is a pause on the Jewish calendar of 50 days. And then finally, the long church age, which extends on our calendar from Pentecost to the Feast of Trumpets, that is uh, from May, June out into uh, August, September, and the rapture, the trumpet. And then rapidly, redemption and the millennium. So these feasts which God has put on the Jewish calendar are not just a matter of ancient ritual worship. We can see they have a deep meaning to the saved person as well. Too often it's forgotten that the Jew really is God's chosen person. He was, he is, and he always will be. God promised to Abraham a land, a nation, and a blessing through his people forever. And so the Jew has been given, or was given just so long ago, a list of, of festivals, of feasts that would be timeless, that would apply to every age, to every time, and to whatever happened. God, of course, saw the the coming of his son and, and the resurrection and all the way through the church age, the rapture and into the kingdom and so forth. And so he presented the Jews with a system of holidays which, whether they could see through it or not, expressed all of these things well in advance. We can enjoy, too, seeing that uh, the beginning of Leviticus 23, the first few verses, talk about the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, of course, is not a special feast that happens every week, but the holidays symbolize the concept of the seven-day week, six days of work and one of rest. If you read through them, you'll see that each holiday of the first six requires some action, sacrifice or the bringing in of harvest or uh, the blowing of the trumpet or the affliction of the soul at the Day of Atonement. But the seventh is the one of rest. Tabernacles, symbolic of the millennium, the shelters where the Jews rested in the wilderness as they did their arduous journey. So we see that uh, God's earthly week is also symbolized in this list of seven feasts. Now again, we don't need to celebrate these feasts along with the Jews because we have received Christ and we have appropriated his blessing and he is the symbol involved in all of these feasts. We no longer have to carry out the actions because they have been fulfilled. But again, it would be good if we understood them, if we didn't turn our back on them, because they, after all, are God's feasts. They're the calendar that he preferred to give to his people. And again, our witness would be so much more complete. How satisfying it would be if we could tell a Jew what he does not know in this area, that the blood, the body, the resurrection, the harvest, 
the rapture, the redemption of the millennium are included in his feasts and are given as the free gift of God through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. In talking of Judaism and Jewish feasts, we might think through the fact that the Messiah, of course, is Jewish. All of the disciples were Jewish and all of the apostles were Jewish. All of the people saved at Pentecost were Jewish. All of those saved at the miracle of Peter and John in Acts 4 were Jewish. The entire membership of the first church, the first Christian church, the one in Jerusalem were Jews. There must have been more than 8,000. And that, in a way, we owe a certain earthly heritage to the Jews who first worshipped one God and who put up with persecution and scorn from pagan religions, who were guided and watched by God, and who have given their heritage down to us. We were given our gift of salvation by Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, as he's introduced in Matthew 1.1. And it behooves us to know the marvelous secrets involved in the Jewish festivals. Unfortunately, we can't cover more of the Old Testament in one lesson, but suffice it to say, now that uh, we've demonstrated what's, uh, what can be found in just one chapter, in just a few remarks about seven feasts, suffice it to say that that chapter doesn't stand alone, that the whole Old Testament is just filled with these wonderful symbols that God dealt with one people exclusively so that all people could read about it and appreciate how he deals. Well, we'll close this talk with a great Jewish blessing, the ironic blessing found in the book of Numbers. I am a Levite, and my ancestor Aaron was given a blessing for the Levites to give to the people. In Deuteronomy 10, 8, and 9, the tribe of Levi is separated unto the Lord to bless the people and to minister in his name. And so I extend to you, as I'm privileged to do, the Levite's blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. This concludes Side B. For additional information concerning Liberation Tapes, write to us at Post Office Box 6044, Lubbock, Texas, 79413, or contact your local Christian bookstore.